0: This is Susan Parker with ELR Legal Search, and I'm excited today about our next episode of ELR Presents. Melissa McGonigal Berry from Lane Powell joins me today. Melissa is a wealth of information and knowledge. She's their Director of Professional Development and Diversity. And the thing I noticed about Melissa when I first met her at at the Professional Development Consortium Conference this summer was that she has wealth, humility, and empathy. And those things combined make a very powerful combination. She is, as I said, the Director of Professional Development and Diversity. She provides leadership and strategic direction for the firm's PD or professional development, as well as their diversity programs, which I really am interested in that combo. She oversees the design, implementation, and monitoring of a wide variety of programs related to professional development of the firm's attorneys And she's also tasked and and has been achieving increasing Lane Powell's diversity and fostering an inclusive work environment. She's got an extensive background in legal education and law school student and career services. She's led efforts to help students from all backgrounds succeed. And Melissa began her career as a litigator before turning her focus to professional development and diversity inclusion. So I know that she has really got that empathy because she has been there and so today I'm really looking forward to talking to you, Melissa. welcome to our podcast.
1: Thank you Susan. I really appreciate the warm um, not feeling very humble <laughs> introduction there. Thank you I really um, really happy to be here and join you. Today.
0: Thank you, thank you. you know I just like I said, I love the diversity of your background. You were a, an associate. You have helped out and led efforts in law schools. You've taught law as well, correct? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And now you're leading this at Lane Powell. So I would imagine that really serves you well, that diversity of your background. And I think that helps paint the full picture for people about what's going on out there. And I guess my first question would be, what are some of the top challenges you're seeing either new young lawyers or laterals facing, particularly in this post-COVID world.
1: Thanks, Susan. Yes, I do think having that in many parts of the, the ecosystem, as we might say, right, the legal ecosystem, and seeing the different life cycles of both being a law student and then into, you know, being a, a newer attorney, right, in those those formative years. And also as as laterals, it does give me some perspective. You know, that said, this is unlike any other time, really. However, our profession, right, has faced some different, and I've, I've been through, I have been through a lot of them, um, um, you know, in different roles, some other really challenging times, like recessions and, right, but this one looks, I think, different from those yet some of the same challenges persist, they just might be deeper and there are some new ones. So for instance, pandemic brought us remote work, which for most, you know, for most associates and just attorneys in general, they may be, you know, there were some working from home some days, but we have a couple of whole classes of graduates and, you know, newer associates and laterals who joined Remotely, and that's how they were working for you know up to two years, for some you know new law grads. That, that's the only experience they had. You know, some were summer associates and started all remote. So that is really a new challenge. I think there's always been how do you build relationships when you first join you know any organization, right, a firm or a government. But I think especially for for law firms which may be different from, say, a public defender's office or a government that might be an AG's office that if they might be more and um, have been more in person, that challenge of just building relationships when, you know, people just aren't in person as much.
0: Yeah, that's we're hearing that over and over again, right? That challenge of building your, your network getting people to know who you are, what value you add? Because for a lot of these folks, right, they are a name and an email, right? Or they're an email address. Who are you? And how do you show up? How do you show up so that people know you so that you can manage your career effectively?
1: Right. And I think especially for new associates, they don't quite know what they're missing. And that's not because they're, they're obviously very smart, you know, bright individuals. It just... They don't know quite what it is about, you know, how might mentoring look different? How might just watching someone operate waiting outside their office, like uh, many of us <laughs> spend many, many hours, if you add them up, doing, you know, to kind of catch someone, um, some of those impromptu lunches or coffees, those sorts of things are all about building a relationship, but also creating opportunities for yourself. That, I think... Is just harder in this environment. You know, the flip side of that is you have a lot more flexibility. And one of the other challenges around just, you know, harmonizing your life and your work, which is a persistent challenge in the profession, that is better for a lot of people, right? Not commuting, at least not commuting every day, having more time to take your dog out in the middle of the day or pick your kids up without worrying about is that creating some kind of reliability issue in the office even though we know it should it not but just you know like that those sorts of things I think are a real silver lining right and of what we've experienced I also think there's some of just if we're being intentional about it getting to know people in a different way because we were seeing pets and kids and insides of people's homes and that is different than perhaps right some of what we see in the office But I do think now that we've, I'm not going to use the words post-pandemic, but I feel like now that there is more hybrid or movement of living with the situation and I'm not going to call it normal either. I don't know what normal is anymore, but just kind of getting more into a a rhythm, whatever that may be. For many people, it is hybrid work. you making sure that we're going beyond just kind of the transactional, like you said, just if you're only ever interacting by email, that is not going to be the easiest way for you to build a relationship and so i think it's a shared responsibility of an associate you know or a new lateral attorney new attorney and you know folks that have been there too but maybe they've just kind of been going on their existing relationship So really they have a responsibility as well as others at the firm to reach out. So, you know, meaning somewhere in the middle and being really intentional about creating opportunities to do that, I think is really critical right now.
0: Yeah, I think that's a key word you've said right there, the intentionality, right? I have to realize that it's incumbent upon me to manage my career, to reach out, to develop my network, develop relationships. and in partnership with my firm, right? So my firm can help me to some extent, but I have to show up with that idea in mind that it's also some of my responsibility. Agreed?
1: I completely agree. I mean, one of the things that I repeatedly told law students over the years, and now I find myself saying it to associates, is no one should care more about your career than you.
0: Oh, that's so great.
1: It really is your career to drive and to own. As a first generation college and law student, I didn't know a lot, (laughs) many, many things going in. So sometimes I didn't know the right questions to ask. And and I feel like there are a lot of structural things we do now to help with that, but ultimately it is up to you. There are support structures, but it is up to you to really drive your own career and to, to own it and not rely on someone else everyone knows you need to have high quality work right but if you're just putting your head down and you're not really looking up to try to get context and build relationships you may not realize like it's all about relationships i mean we're in a service industry and i think that's a really big difference from law school you know law school is like highly individualistic it's your individual education and in fact you're you know competing essentially with your classmates there's very little team-oriented work. I have many friends who still are, <laughs> teach law and I respect them highly. And I, I respect you know, a lot of things about how we teach law. And I know many of them are trying to incorporate more team. I understand why certain parts of law school are the way they are. But it really, when you start practicing, unless you're a solo practitioner, you rely constantly on other people. And you are part of a team and and usually multiple teams. And so learning, that's all about relationships. Yes, you need to have high quality work and you need to do the work. But it may even be how you get your work depends on you building relationships. And client, ultimately client relationships. So it really is largely probably more on you. And I think that's just a shift that needs to happen from law school to being kind of that junior associate. And I do think laterals come in, you have a better sense of that. You typically might have a better sense or a more focused practice area that you've specifically have come to that new firm or organization to do. I think it's especially hard for newer attorneys because they're still figuring out what kind of lawyer they want to be, not practice area, although for some that's true too, but more you know, their own professional identity formation, really, that is just about owning and driving your career, but just trying to figure that part out. I think, you know, it's a developmental, it's a natural developmental point that people are in stage that they're in. But it does, I think, make that shift from being an individual and having the consequences be about your grades or you not preparing for an interview and not getting that position. That's about you. But once you are working with others and they're relying on you, you know, it's not just about you anymore. It's about you communicating and you having relationships with people so that you can work together to serve a client.
0: I see a lot of the attorneys we speak to, the young attorneys with whom we work, still maybe not fully in that mindset of realizing the importance of relationships, and particularly those that, as you said, you know, have been working remotely all or most of their career, it hasn't maybe completely set in. So it's a challenge, right, to build relationships, but we've got to commit to do them. You know, we encourage uh, the candidates with whom we work to do that. And I also know that there are some generational, there are some cultural differences that make it harder for some folks to do that. Also, you know, thinking styles makes for some folks more difficult would you agree that you know some of these challenges are really intensified for attorneys we might call diverse and diverse can mean a lot of different things what do you see in that space in terms of helping diverse attorneys with some of those challenges of building relationships
1: i agree in the sense of uh, if you look at historically underrepresented individuals i mean when we talk about diversity in the sense of representation by the very virtue of historical underrepresentation and, frankly, still a lot of underrepresentation, it can be harder because you may be an only. You may be the only, especially as we look at intersectionality. You know, if you are the only, let's, for example, woman of color, like that can be, you may look and say, is there this path for me here? You may not have the same role models, right? You may not have the same, types of connections if we take into account you know affinity uh, biases and when i say biases as you know i know you know this but i'm just going to say this and i know everyone listening knows this um, we all have biases i know we like to think and in fact they've studied the more we learn about them we like to think we have fewer we we're really just more self-aware of them but we all have our own unconscious biases and, and one very common one is that, you know, kind of that affinity bias. And so, and we've, we've seen that at play in the legal profession for years. So that is just a hurdle. That is a systemic hurdle that underrepresented individuals face, both as law students and as lawyers. So I think that can make building relationships harder, not because you're not trying or because other people aren't trying, but there are more inherent and unconscious biases that need to be disrupted in the process. And I think they can be through certain things. So like through mentor programs, you don't have to always assign people who are similar. And in fact, you may find a mentor or a sponsor someone who is from a diverse background may find a you know that same woman of color we're talking about may find actually you know one of the more senior white cisgender male partners might be someone who ends up being a actually really great sponsor for them but you still face the everyday i mean there's an array of things from microaggressions to those more systemic barriers For women in particular, sort of double bind in terms of, you know, there's prove it again biases. There are, uh, you know, I don't mean to kind of make a laundry list here, but it's a lot, you know, it can be a lot. The diversity tax, right?
0: It is. It's stunning what we humans do.
1: It's stunning because it's like, okay, can you be also on our recruiting committee? And can you do these other things? And, you know, many people want to do that because they are working, we're all working for the same goal, but does that person get credit for their hours doing that? For instance, we have seen a rise in getting in DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion billable credit hours. Uh, My own firm, we have 50 hours now available for associates.
0: That's great. I did not know that. That is really good
1: a relatively new trend that we're seeing. And part of it is really to recognize the work that people are doing to drive, you know, your organization's DEI goals. And those things do include serving on recruiting or hiring committees, attending different programs related to that, or working on certain retention efforts, or being out in the community, you know, serving on another relationship building, right? Like serving externally on you know, affinity bar associations. And so that's a way to try to reduce that sense of a diversity tax, as it's been called. And I saw it in academia as well. It's not about billable hours, but it's about, hey, it's taking away from your time on teaching and scholarship to do like an extra lift on certain committees. So that's a way I think that that at least um, in the billable hour world affirms trying to give credit is a way to make it more tangible
0: i love that because it's also bringing value to the firm it's almost like a positive snowball effect because if you're going to give credit for those kinds of efforts then you're going to recruit more folks within whatever group that is right and then that brings more success and ease in recruitment later because i'll i'll tell you i deal with candidates and it happens weekly who tell me okay tell me more about the position. You know, I'll talk to them about the opportunity and they will just say, you know, I am used to being the only, uh, for example, woman of color, and I don't need everyone to look like me, but it'd be nice if there were one. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And so the more we can help that story, the easier to recruit because there's some great candidates that some firms aren't going to get because, you know, I think, sometimes people tire of being the only one.
1: Yes. I've seen that in law school classrooms as well. It's a lot of pressure to be yeah. the only in a situation. And that's, you know, especially if you're just trying to, you know, do what everyone else is doing with their career, like make the best career you can. It adds a lot of extra, I think, pressure. And also what we talked about earlier, you know, is you is this your path? So I, I think any kind of institutional signals that an organization can do to say we value this we see we're not where we want to be with you know i haven't heard anybody say yeah we're there right i mean we are working i mean even if it's an individual organization Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh on the representation that that looks you know a lot better than other places there's still a lot to be done for the whole profession so i mean there's this collective effort right that's about individual teams and firms and other legal organizations, but also just the profession as a whole. So, I mean, it's just, it's a journey, as they say, right? It's not something where I think we'll, we'll say, I mean, I hope, I, I hope I'm alive when we say we, we've, we've made the progress we want to see, but I'm someone who just believes in continual progress. So I, right. I feel like that may not see that, but I will continue to advocate and fight for it as long as I'm
0: around. Well, I can tell that about you. And I think that's a real differentiator. And I always ask, you know, candidates, young candidates with whom I'm working, hey, do you know the people in your firm, your current firm? Do you know the people in professional development? Are you involved with diversity and inclusion efforts? Do you know some of the folks and the resources? Because I find often that not everybody is. And it's another way to help manage your own career trajectory is to take advantage of resources and the knowledge of people like yourself
1: yeah i agree i think just uh, again kind of knowing what's available to you that's why we're here we are here to support you i think it's important to understand how it works wherever you are you know what are the resources available who are the people I tend to be someone people come to, even if they're not sure, like, this is actually part of my role or not. And, you know, I'll try to get their question answered or direct them to the correct resource. And in fact, that's something that we are really working on right now is an integration initiative. It started really as a lateral initiative. And and it's still largely is that, but also for new associates as well, because I think you know, as we were talking about, as people are coming in more and it's hybrid, you know, it's not quite the same as like new associates starting in the fall and coming to the office. I mean, it looks different now. So we're really trying to make this, uh, you know, for all attorneys right now and and eventually all new hires at the firm. But right now our focus is on attorney integration and we've actually created like a two-year runway. So I know that sounds really long, but we're using data to largely collected by NALP, right, in their attrition studies, is to really say, we need longer. There's a lot of attention in the first months, right? And there's and then, you know, even in the first year, once you've been through a cycle of everything, but people need support. And I think especially in a remote or hybrid situation, which looks at least hybrid-wise, like it's going to continue for at least the near future, right? they need more ongoing support because new and different issues come up, you know, things that don't fit really in onboarding but we do they have questions about later and we realize, you know, sometimes there's a sense of hey, you've been here for a year, you know, you don't have questions. Of course you have questions. <laughs> right. But you may not feel comfortable asking people. So One, I would say, just ask, you know, be a curious person. But also, you know, we want to set up a net of support for people so that they feel like they can ask that, uh, you know, that kind of question that it's like, maybe I should know this by now, but where do I find, you know, this or how do I do this?
0: I love that because it gives them the psychological safety. Exactly to ask a question, you know, you should know something. Well, maybe not because I've been drinking from the water hose when I first got here and so much came at me, I couldn't get it all. Right. And I think the honest, you know, assertion by your firm to say, yeah, we we understand that will go a very long way, a very long way into helping people successfully integrate and and really want to stay. Right. And I think that's, I love, I love that you all are doing that. Is the program like a very formal integration program or informal or kind of between? How how would you describe it?
1: It's kind of between Mm because it's launching right now. So we have a new integration committee and the group of of folks who've agreed to serve as liaisons for our new, you know, for new attorneys as they come in, they'll be assigned. And um, so there is this, somewhat informality to it of, of, well, there's this formal assignment, this person's going to be your liaison. And you, if you're an associate, you also are assigned a partner mentor and an associate kind of peer mentor. Um, and that starts to create the web, you know, within your practice team leader and others that you might be working with that it creates this at me and, you know, and others on the operation side. Um, so uh, and then it's, it's really up to the liaison, you know, to make sure they're just checking in. You know, mentors we have sort of a set of guidelines around you know regular check-ins on that um, for liaisons and like i said we're just launching this now so i can <laughs> tell you next year yeah. uh, but the idea is that they um the, you know the how exactly they make contact is up to them but we do uh are you know really we have guidelines about hey we want this frequency and like, here are what we've created is a list um curriculum is kind of a strong word, but a bit of a curriculum in the sense of or at least a syllabus of topics, if you will. Mm-hmm. So um, of things that come up, you know, on a quarterly basis. So, you know, like you said, there's kind of the fire hose at the beginning. How does this work? How does that work? Um, but what might be coming up and what might be coming up both in the year cyclically, like right now we've launched into our, you know, an, our annual performance and comp process. Um, so there are things like that, but, uh, you know, to be able just to answer questions and we're also going to then ask the liaisons to report back, like, what are other things people are asking about so that then we can build it out a little bit. And it's, the idea is not that the liaison has to answer all the questions, right. But it's like, well, who, in fact, somebody just pinged me and said, is this, you know, the system that keeps our, um, we use something called Intellistat, you know, is
0: that down right now? And I you know.
1: I actually don't know. So I just reached out to finance, but it's like, who do I contact, you know, for that? Right.
0: What's your point of contact? Right. Just to help you.
1: Right. What's your point of contact? Where do I find the policy about X? so that they don't have to all be experts, although I suspect some people will learn a few new things just by being asked, you know? So it's not like they have to teach them everything, right? There are people across the firm willing and and able to answer questions, but sometimes it's just like getting to the right person or even knowing, as we were saying earlier, like this resource exists, that that liaison can help connect them, that idea of being that liaison between whoever can get the answer and and, or whatever the resource is and, and how they
0: can get there. It makes a difference. It makes a difference because it's almost like a concierge service. So you don't feel and you feel safer yeah. having that one person. Yes. Right. It, it, yeah. And in my years of being in talent, whether it's been in development or recruitment, you know, helping people deal with change is huge. Right. Because change is happening all around us. And it would make sense in the digital age where things are changing very rapidly rapidly. There's all kinds of global globalization and things happening around the world that people need a longer runway. And I think it's really wise of you all to do that where you're giving longer term support. And I also really believe strongly that successful integration begins at recruitment. So we're looking to partner with our client firms on how we can help. Like we've, we've come up with this term, instead of a 30, 60, 90 day strategic plan to help our candidates it's a negative 30, zero, 30-day 30 plan.
1: Ah, interesting, yeah.
0: Right? So before they even start with you all, we're helping them get ready for that. And then it's really, you know, we have a short baton that we hand off to people like yourself, which is a long baton over a long amount of time of support. But I really think all the studies show when people feel welcomed, valued, acknowledged, heard, and trusted, they're happy. They're happier. And they'll stay. And that means they'll do better work. And we won't have to worry about attrition as much. Those things are critical for the success. And we feel like our recruiting firm, that's the kind of success we want to help cultivate.
1: I love that, Susan. I think, you know, this idea of pre-boarding or whatever, your zero to zero. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, uh, yeah. yeah.
1: That, that it does really start then. And it's, it's then that the relationship starts building and also signaling and helping someone feel like they belong. Because everything you just said about being wanting to be seen, heard, right, listened to, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that you feel like you belong and it's starting to build some trust and understanding. And, And ultimately, lately in the DEI space, there's been kind of this idea of DEIB, you know, adding belonging. And that's another place, you know, as we were talking about ownership earlier, where it's like some people are like, well, I can't affect someone's belonging. That's about their feeling. But you can. Wow. Yeah. You can. By being inclusive, exactly. by being intentional and being inclusive, and and the behavior, some of the things that you I think we're talking about in this pre-boarding and initial onboarding period are these really critical about building that sense of inclusion, which can then influence and impact someone's feeling of belonging. So it's not just you know an individual out there and just do I belong? Do I don't I? It's it's how they are impacted and influenced by other people's behavior toward them and the feeling that they get. And again, kind of in this hybrid world, I think we all have to work extra hard to create more psychological safety, to create more of that feeling of
0: inclusion and just being really proactive in doing that. And it pays off, it pays off, right? Because some people hear this stuff that you and I love about feeling and how people feel at work, but we can show data that how people feel at work matters, and it impacts greatly their, their ability to contribute, and it impacts the bottom line of any organization or firm. Because you're reducing nutrition, you're enhancing engagement and performance, and those things in any business matter. It is a win, win, win all the way around. And I think we're starting to see more and more of that, particularly after this time, more belief in that, I guess, particularly after COVID and and hopefully we are after COVID. (laughs) We continue to be, but that people are, you know, felt so disconnected and that feeling of disconnected was causing people to sort of retire in place or what I used to always call it that. And now they're saying what quiet quitting. So no one wants that. No one wants to lose great talent so then we've really this idea of focusing on how people feel, whether they feel a sense of belonging or not, really is a business question.
1: Exactly. And I think it's not about touchy-feely, like this is business. You've no other argument persuades you, just knowing that these, DEI, B, and engagement, all of that matters for performance and engagement, which... Bottom line is better for business. And so we know that I feel like that business case was made earlier for diversity and, and I feel like that is established, but I, it's, I think it's getting there with belonging. The and you know, I think one of the things that we did and I, I'm, I hope we'll see more of is with our annual engagement survey is we started, it, we included questions about inclusion
0: and belonging. Nice, nice.
1: I think there is a sense, and it is a little bit, how do you measure that, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. I mean, if it's somehow someone feels, well, you can, because you can ask them.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Do you feel like you belong here? And you can measure that, and you can look then, start to, you know, know, whether it's year over year or in pulse surveys, and try to address that through some of the things we've been talking about, right? So what are some things that you can do in order to help increase this? And sometimes, frankly, they're simple things. You know, check in on your people if you're a manager. I think in a space where everyone's on billables, you know, every six minutes of their Mm -hmm. life, like it can feel like everyone's in a time crunch. But one of the things I think we saw was because of that disconnection during the pandemic, I think, you know, some people were very lonely. Some people had very full houses, right? And as we come out of that, how do we get more intentional about making sure people do feel connected? I mean, I hope you care about it because you care about your people. And I think most people do. But if you don't, you know, if it's more about bottom line, like that's a, that's supported there as well.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And
1: I think out of this, we help people just be, you know, work at their best. So this flexibility allows people, I think, to become engaged, perhaps in ways they might not, because they actually can get maybe the quiet time they need. And, you know, others may really enjoy being back in the office all the time that people can work as they work best, which I hope then also means that will encourage even more diversity in all the ways that we were talking about and also um, with neurodiversity, which is an area that I've been um, tapped into.
0: Yeah, tell me more about neurodiversity because I'm fascinated by that, all these different thinking styles that we have and how that impacts how we feel at work and and how we perform as well.
1: Right, I mean with neurodiversity, I mean an individual who identifies as neurodiverse or sometimes uh, they say neurodivergent is someone who, I guess to put it this way, kind of thinks differently from the way most of the population might expect that they would. So, you know, we might be talking someone who might not be considered neurotypical, be individuals with autism or Asperger's, some ADHD, dyslexia, and it's really kind of up to the individual Mm -hmm. to identify as neurodiverse, but that's typically what is meant. The term was coined back in 1998 by an Australian sociologist, uh, Judy Singer, and putting together neurological and diversity. But the idea is that we can accept that people's brains work differently. This is not a disease, uh, this is not disorder. It's something that is really just about being different.
0: If I identified that way, how would I benefit, or, or how would I you know, sort of navigate things? For example, at Lane Powell, would I come to you? Or, or how how would how would that work?
1: Yeah, I mean it depends. I've been serving on NALP's diversity in the it's neurodiversity in the legal profession task force. One of the things that we've been talking a lot about is you know disclosure, and and not everyone wants to or or needs to disclose. I mean that's something you could choose to do. Yeah, you know, I would say probably typically with HR. Or you could also talk to me, you know, in the recruiting context this is coming up too. in the end, some of the things that could really help neurodiverse candidates, actually students and lawyers thrive. They don't necessarily have to be called out as something special. It's more like, how do you work best?
0: Almost going to the solutions, potential solutions, without focusing on what maybe.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. Have that. Yeah, it's more about like what do you need in order to thrive. And I think in the in the law school context, you might have more disclosure if it's affecting time for test taking or something like that, and that's you know handled in a very particular way. And I think what we see is that it becomes challenging in a recruiting context, whether you're a student or another candidate, right? if for instance you don't have the same eye contact right that we have come to expect Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you're someone who likes to have notes or take notes in an interview or refer to your notes like those are things i think that typically have been you know here's how we do interviews you know for for on-campus interviews are one way or right and we 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 do it this way and and we found what about small things? Like we give interviewers a pad and a, and a pen. And why can't, you know, why can't the yeah. candidate, you know, why not have a candidate right. have that?
0: Because you risk missing really great people if you've got these right. really narrow boxes of what people right. should or should not be doing. Right.
1: Exactly. And that everyone is going to interact in exactly the same way or work in exactly the same way. So one of, I think, another kind of silver lining of, this space we're in, in in time is just, you know, remote work has allowed some people to, and now hybrid to really figure out how they work best. Right. And like I said, some people like really enjoy the office. Someone else may need a quiet space and uninterrupted. And I think that allows someone who is neurodiverse to thrive in a way that might've been more difficult. I mean, it, I think it, it's, just, it's, it's, It's a type of diversity we don't want to overly generalize about, right? Because they're just so it's it's so it can look very different for different people. And so, to your point of like, if you disclose that, you might say, "And here's where I need support." And can we just try to normalize that, just like something else? You know, somebody who needs, and I'm not trying to diminish, but like you know, an ergonomic something or a standing desk, or right, the physical,
0: like
1: physical disabilities that you know get addressed through accommodations. I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't all have to be to the level of accommodation, but it could be. But it also can be, you know, a conversation and asking everyone, how do you thrive without having to make someone feel like maybe they have to disclose if they didn't want to.
0: Exactly. I I don't know why I always think of sports analogies, probably because I played sports. I love sports. But it is, what we're talking about is enabling success. So if you'd rather wear those Nike high tops, versus a different brand and you think that makes you jump higher then then wear those. It's about helping enable you to the success that that you've demonstrated that you want to have. And it is a two-way street. You manage your career, but we're going to help you have the tools and the new gymnasium floor and the hoops that that don't rattle too much so that you can, you know, get that 20 points a game. And it's it's the same thing. I love the fact that you and your firm are so dedicated to this, so committed to it, to understanding the different dimensions of diversity and really understanding that we're, we're here to help enable success. And there are still going to be some people that are not going to take you up on it, but you are giving them every opportunity. And I always in- encourage candidates with whom I work, look, take advantage of these things, really get a handle on what your goals are. And tell me what kind of lawyer you want to be. What is your legacy? Talk to me about what you want that to be and then figure out how to get there and, and use the resources that are out there for you.
1: Exactly. I moved back into law firms from the law school side where I loved working with students, but seeing people, being able to help people longer in their career and help them Define what success for them and how they can thrive is really rewarding. And it also reminds me, it is, you know, something that you choose, right? And you choose your path, but all of the things available to you to help you understand that path and what opportunities there are and what you can create, it's just really exciting it's exciting to see people embarking on that, whether they're new to starting to be a new lawyer, just starting fresh, or a lateral making a fresh start somewhere and really helping them find what is satisfying to them and what feels like success to them and supporting them.
0: Well, thank you for doing this work. Thank you for being such an empathic and passionate supporter of folks in their journey to success in their careers. And I do wanna hear sometime next year about the success you're gonna have with the, the new integration program. Melissa, thank you so much for all of your knowledge, your empathy, it's been great talking to you.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Susan. It's really been a delight.